baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. These notes are marked return to sender I'll save this letter for myself I wish you only knew Good it is to see you Wiggins America Good morning, good morning, 97.1 FM Talk, Wiggins America. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We have Peter Navarro coming up later this hour, but right now, saw this headline, and I, (laughs) maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, and maybe this stuff happens all the time, and I just happened to see this one, but the headline is, the FDA asks for federal judge to grant it until the year 2076 to fully release Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine data. So on the phone with us is Aaron Siri. He is a civil rights attorney's managing partner at Siri and Glimstead. Thank you so much for being here, Aaron. My pleasure. So break down this, this story, this headline for us. The FDA is going to a federal judge and asking that they don't have to release Pfizer's COVID-19 data until the year 2076. Sounds a little abnormal to me. Is this normal? Uh, it's certainly not normal for something of this importance. The FDA has been telling us for, you know, for the last 18 months uh, that they're going to be transparent when it comes to the licensure of a COVID vaccine. Obviously, a number of folks have raised concerns about um, uh, that, uh, the speed and so forth at which that product um, was proceeding in, in terms of licensure and the FDA to assure the public Promise transparency. Um, uh, when Pfizer's vaccine was actually licensed, which is the first point in time that you can, um, under the law, get a copy of the documents that the FDA would have received from Pfizer to license the product, um, a group of scientists from across the country, from you know, the most prestigious universities uh, in, in our country, and uh, scientists and professors from the medical schools and, and related disciplines, they made a. They came together in, in a group, and um, they made a request to the FDA to release all of the documents that Pfizer provided the FDA to license its product. Um, the FDA's own regulations say, "quote unquote," that once the product is licensed, it should be "quote unquote" immediately released. Um, but instead of the FDA providing these scientists uh, copies of the documents provided by Pfizer, 
the FDA didn't give them a single page. Um, mm. Two months passed, and uh, we, we then um, brought a lawsuit on behalf of that group in federal court um, demanding that these documents be produced to these scientists and turn the public. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the FDA, from the time that it started getting the documents until it actually uh, licensed the product, uh, that was 108 days. And the FDA has assured us it conducted a thorough, intense, robust review of those documents. Um, surely that, 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 you know, that, that was, um, you know, it took a Herculean effort, they say, to engage in that review. And they did it in 108 days. But their position in the lawsuit is that uh, these same documents that they reviewed in 108 days to assure safety and efficacy and license this product, they now want to make the public wait over 20,000 days to fully release these documents. And, um, you know, wh why is that important? Well, we, everybody, it's important because the scientific method involves peer review, independent assessments and reviews, replication. These scientists, they want to see the data. There have obviously been a lot of political pressure on the FDA. There's, um, you know, the, 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 at the end, the, it's, it's one group of scientists that looked at it there, and they would like to, to take a look at it. I'll add this one last point. I hope I'm not uh, uh, giving you too long of an answer. No, you're good. But, uh, I'll, I'll, and the last point is this. Um, this. This is not just any product licensed by the FDA. This is the product that the FDA has said they are, you know, that they, is the most important thing that they're going to focus on. And it's a product that the federal government is currently mandating millions of Americans to receive. And if, if they don't, they lose their jobs. They can be kicked out of school. They can be separated from the military. In some cities, you can't even go into restaurants without receiving this product. And so, uh, and, and, and additionally, the federal government has also granted Pfizer complete immunity from any liability for injuries caused by their product. You cannot sue Pfizer if you are injured by the Pfizer vaccine. And so, you know, if, if, so again, this is not, you know, uh, like any other product. It, it, this product also has an uh, important nexus with civil and individual rights. Um, and, and so, you know, the urgency and the need to get this data to these hands of these independent scientists so they can also take a look at it um, is critical and important. And so to answer your question, this is unprecedented. I think the FDA should stick with what it told the public. It's going to be transparent and release these documents right away, not try to hold on to them for the next 55 years uh, before fully releasing them. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, just the last point you made there, it, it really is shocking. This is something that we've never experienced in, in our lifetimes, maybe in American history, that everybody in America is being forced on some level to do this, and yet there's no, they're trying to block the release of data on this. I mean, that's incredible. And the headline that I, I've seen that is getting all the attention is, is how long they're asking, you know, till the year 2076. But my question is why I could see why the, the Pfizer would want to protect their data because they're a company and they want to shield themselves as much as possible. I don't like that they would do that, but it seems like logical that they would want to do that. Why, though, the FDA? Why would the FDA want to shield Pfizer from releasing this data? Uh, it's a great question. Why would the FDA want to grant Pfizer immunity from liability for any injuries from this product? 
why is the federal government, uh, you know, engage and do, do some of the things they do? I could only speculate, which I, 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 I always prefer not to. But um, and I say that this is obviously speculation. Um, but, you know, the FDA has come out um, even before licensure and was promoting this product. Right. In many ways, the FDA is supposed to just assure safety and efficacy. It's not supposed to promote the products it's supposed to be deciding whether they're safe and effective, right? That, mm-hmm. that creates a structural conflict. It has now hitched its reputation to some degree um, on this product, right? After going out and telling everybody to get it, after being part of the government mechanism that's mandating people to get it, um, for, uh, if it turns out there's a problem with this product, you know, whose reputation does that harm? It harms the reputation of the FDA. You know, so, uh, there are a lot of drugs out there that, that we view beneficial to society. Statins, right, um, which are for, you know, heart, to, to help people avoid heart attacks. Heart, heart uh, cardiovascular issues, heart attacks, number one killer of Americans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, you know, when it comes to taking statins, basically a form of heart medicine, for lack of a better term, um, the, the FDA has no problem criticizing statins. The public has no problem criticizing statins. The, the media doesn't. I think part of the reason that is is because the FDA doesn't promote statins. It doesn't mandate statins. It doesn't stake its reputation behind that drug. And so it's able to impartially conduct its regulatory functions. But when the government gets involved in coercing a medical product, when it gets involved in putting its reputation behind it, encouraging it, basically becoming the public relations arm of Pfizer for this product to to a degree, that um, that does create a structural conflict. May or may not have played into this. I could only speculate. Aaron Siri is on the phone with us. He's a civil rights attorney. Now, who exactly are you suing the FDA or Pfizer here? We are suing the FDA okay. um, because it's the uh, the Freedom of Information Act um, and and the applicable regulation I mentioned earlier. Um, they they permit getting documents from the federal government. The whole point of that law is transparency. Um, so, yes, we're suing the FDA. So what are the possible outcomes? What, what's the best possible uh, outcome for you and for transparency here? How quickly could we see this data? I mean, I think the best possible outcome for the American public and for everybody in America who is subject to receiving this vaccine, uh, and certainly those who might suffer an adverse event who can't sue Pfizer, um, and, and certainly to, you know, to potentially address some issues, legitimate issues that have been raised by, by scientists across the country, the best outcome um, is, uh, is the outcome that we've asked the judge for. And what we've asked the judge in the case is, is this. We, we have um, um, taken the position that if the FDA can review the, this data set in 108 days and conduct a thorough, intense review, it claims that it did, it should be able to produce these documents in no more than 108 days to the public. So our hope is that uh, the judge agrees with my client's position um, that 108 days is the maximum amount of time, not the 20,000 plus days the FDA wants. We have a court hearing um, in the middle of December, and um, we'll get a sense of you know what the judge's views are on that. We'll be engaged in briefing before that, so um, time will tell. Aaron Siri, thank you so much for your time and all this information this morning. Hopefully you can keep us updated on where things go after December, too. Sounds great. Wiggins America, 97.1 FM Talk. Great interview there. If you just tuned in in the middle, that's Aaron Siri. He's a civil rights attorney.
who is suing the FDA for basically freedom of information because they're blocking all the data on the vaccine, on Pfizer's vaccine. I'm telling you, these guys are all in cahoots. If you look at the people who were who worked at the FDA in, within the last several years, they're the same as the CEOs of Pfizer and vice versa. I mean, they're almost like the same organization. And it's it's really disgusting to see the government using its power to force the entire population of the country to basically take a product that they're in cahoots with. That's what's going on here. So if you missed some of that interview or if you just tuned in just now and you want to hear it, rewind on the Odyssey app or get the podcast. We'll have that up at the end of this hour, hopefully by right at the end of the show. And speaking of the end of this show, Peter Navarro, former assistant to President Trump, is coming up in just a segment or two here. Stick around at the end of Wiggins America this hour for that interview. 97.1 FM Talk. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. All right, let me catch you up just a little bit because if you weren't listening last week during this hour, you won't know about this story. It didn't get a whole lot of coverage, but I thought it was fascinating. Very, very interesting story. So what happened was sometime last week, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced that he and the Florida legislature, so not by executive order, which I'm very glad about because I'm sick of executive orders, with the legislature, he stood there with the Speaker of the Florida House and the leader of the Florida Senate. They're both Republicans. They have the majorities. They can do this. They're going to do it. In fact, they may have already done it. <laughs> um, they said, we're going to disband ourselves from OSHA. Now, this is before OSHA has backed down off of the mandate and the Biden administration has, quote unquote, backed down off of the mandate. They still act like Nobody has any authority over them. If you ask Jen Psaki or the press secretary from when Jen Psaki had COVID, they didn't really care. They just were going to do whatever they wanted. But they legally have to back down. There is no way for them as the president, the executive branch, to issue a vaccine mandate. It's been struck down, completely gone, right? Okay, so before that, Florida was fighting back. They said, we're going to get ourselves completely out of OSHA. So my question naturally was, can they do that? Just like your question would be. It seemed like a pretty big stunt at worst, but a pretty long shot legally at best. But I was I was still intrigued. I mean, this is the full Florida legislature along with the governor going to do this. Just basically decide this federal agency has no authority over the, us. I like the idea. I wanted to see what happened. So last Friday... Brad Young was filling in along with me for Annie Fry, who was taking a little vacation. I grilled Brad Young, who is an attorney, and he's an occupational attorney. So he knows all about OSHA and he knows all about these things. I sat there and just grilled him. Can Florida make this work? He was naturally declined against it, the opposite of inclined, I guess, being that he was skeptical that they could make it work. But I presented my legal case. 
Here it is. Wiggins, America. News with an audience. All right, Tough the lawyer. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. So this week, Florida, DeSantis and the Speaker of the House in Florida and the Senate leader all came out in agreement that they were going to, through the legislature, decide to disband from OSHA. Did you see this? I did. What in the world? Can you just decide that federal agency doesn't have authority over me anymore, so I'm not going to abide by it? No. So what are, what are they doing? It's a PR stunt. I mean, the, the, the Supreme Court cases on this are crystal clear. I mean, there, there are a lot of gray areas in the law. If there weren't, <laughs> I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. But there are some areas that are black and white, crystal clear. And this truly, this is one of them. Because if the federal government has exercised under the supremacy clause of the Constitution, if the federal government has exercised power over an area, over an area uh, through which uh, the, the power has been delegated to the federal government, then at that point, then the states are subservient to the federal government when it comes to regulating those areas. And the ability of the federal government to work through OSHA has been established since 1973. It's been established by court cases. Uh, I would be stunned if what Florida wants to do uh, is allowed under our court system. Okay, two angles that I'm going to fight you on. And you can knock me down, which is fine, but I'm going to try to knock you down. That's fine. What about the 10th Amendment? That is that power explicitly given to the federal government and the Constitution, couldn't Florida say, no, those federal agents are, have not been given that power. We gave them that power as a state. Mm-hmm. We're taking it back. And that's a good argument. And, Yay! But, but, but here's where the argument is wrong. Okay. okay? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that it's moment. Like the, it's like the judge from My Cousin Vinny. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really good argument. Overruled. Overruled. <laughs> I gave you a second Thank to, you. to, to, to yeah. revel in, in your cleverness, but then now we're going to shoot it down. Okay. And, and we're going to shoot it down this way because most businesses are intrastate businesses. Now, local, you might have an argument with a local company that only operates locally. But if a company does any business that's intrastate, then at that point, the federal government has the authority to regulate interstate commerce. Also, even if you're a local business, you would have intrastate ties. For example, if you have an internet connection, you would have interstate ties. If you if you are a local restaurant, chances are you're buying goods from that are coming over state lines to run your restaurant. So I could I could create a scenario where you might be able to say OSHA doesn't apply if you were only local, you only sold to local people, you have no interstate connections, like an internet connection, and all of the goods and services, all the goods you buy are from local farms. Okay, you can make the argument that I have no interstate connections. If that's the case, uh, maybe that might have a glimmer of hope. But most businesses don't operate that. Look at my law firm. My law firm, we've got interstate connections. I do business with customers in other states. And the federal government has the authority to regulate interstate commerce. So because of that, they do have, I think, they do have the right to implement OSHA standards because it's been authorized by federal law. All right. All right. All right. Uh, You knocked me down. But here's my my counterpunch. Okay. Because I'm I'm George Foreman Grill. I'm getting back up here. That's fine. Punch away. What about... 
Arizona's unique situation with OSHA. Do you know about this? Now that I do not know. Okay, I'll explain it. Okay. Arizona has what's called a Division of Occupational Safety and Health. They call it ADOSH. They mostly just do the same thing that OSHA does, Mm -hmm. but according to their compliance forms, they say that ADOSH is the only state or federal OSHA program in the country that is an independent body. So they say that they have their own industrial commission that reviews the appropriateness of ADOSH penalty proposals and blah, blah, blah. Basically, they're doing this independently, Mm -hmm. and they have since something like the 80s or 90s. So it's not like they just recently did this. Would that be a precedent for saying, look, there's another state that's already doing it and has been for a long time that OSHA has no control over, so we're going to do that? A state that would operate in independent industrial standards, as long as they didn't violate OSHA standards, uh, let me put it a different way. Just because the court allows a state to operate its own industrial standards is not the same as stating that OSHA has no jurisdiction. Okay. Okay. Those two things are not equivalent. So because OSHA has allowed Arizona to operate its own standards, occupational and safety standards, doesn't mean that OSHA couldn't come in and say, we disagree with you in this instance and you need to fix it or else we're going to exercise our authority. Wow, Wiggins America. Hey, I'm not a lawyer. I stuck in there pretty well. You'll have to admit, right? And I don't need your approval. Just like I told Brad, I don't need your approval. But I thought those are pretty good cases to be made. Ultimately, I do believe Brad Young is right. And I don't even know. I think at this point, if they did it, it would be a PR stunt. Because with OSHA dropping the whole thing. There is no vaccine mandate. I will repeat that until everybody in the world has heard it. There is no vaccine mandate. You don't have to do it. There's no penalties if you're a company. It's all gone. <laughs> but uh, it's still it's still being talked about. So we're going to continue to talk about it until everybody knows. But until then, just letting you know, the OSHA mandate is gone. Anyway, coming up next, we're talking to Peter Navarro, former assistant to President Trump, one of only three of his advisors who started the campaign with him, made it all the way through to the end. He was there for the whole thing. We're talking to him next on Wiggins America, 97.1 FM Talk. Well, I said before that uh, you can talk to people who are smart and have opinions and were around this stuff that everybody knows happened. Uh, from 2016 to 2020 and even going on now. But then you've also got people who are on a different level, that they were there, they were in the Oval Office, they were traveling abroad, they were having these meetings. And that is why I love to talk to Peter Navarro. He is the former assistant to President Donald Trump, and he is here with us this morning. Thanks, Thank you for being here, Mr. Navarro. Hey, I'm just so happy to be with you from the swamp here in D.C. Lovely day in D.C. as uh, the Republic... Uh, Falls down around us. <laughs> Man, no kidding. It's. It, I didn't expect to talk to you about this bill, but incredible yeah, the, the yeah. things that are in this bill and the fact that it actually could pass, but we'll see. When the fate of the republic depends on Joe Manchin in the Senate, <laughs> you know that we are in the uh, last days of either Pompeii or Rome. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, I, I, the, the In Trump Time book is interesting because – there's a there's a whole section of it where uh, if long as you take you back to the time when President Trump was trying to pass a, a two trillion dollar bill that that was actually 
meaningful. And, and it's important to talk about it because it provides a really important contrast to what we're seeing there. Like we were trying to get a, a $2 trillion bill passed. There were a lot of people who were in pain at the time. Some of that was relief. But most of all, what we were trying to do, and there's a lot of money for bringing back our manufacturing to U.S. soil. When you bring back the factories here, then you bring back the supply chains. You have resilient supply chains. When you offshore your factories, the supply chains follow, and you have fragile supply chains at best and broken supply chains um, in a pandemic. And so if you just compare what we were trying to do, it was pure Trumpian, rebuild American manufacturing, make America great again. But what we have in contrast, it's in math, we call it the empty set. There's like no, no Venn diagram intersection of these bills. It's like it's just it's just pure woke, progressive, zombie, fiscal irresponsibility that's going to trigger not only inflation, uh, but also uh, stagflation, which is which is slower growth because of the drag we're going to get from from all of the knock on effects of this bill. So this this is this is a serious matter. Now, your book in Trump time uh, deals with the covid era, basically a journal of America's plague year is what it's called. So when you talk about these things, you talk about these spending bills. Are you specifically referring to the money that President Trump and Republicans wanted to spend during covid? Or are you talking about the infrastructure at large, which Trump also did want to do? Uh the former, uh, but it's, it bleeds into the latter. Mm-hmm. The, the, the whole notion of the bill we designed, and let, let me be clear about this. Uh, when, when you look at Nancy Pelosi, she's purely a Botoxed political animal, right? She does not care about the American manufacturing base or the American worker. The only reason why we didn't pass that $2 trillion bill under President Trump was Pelosi didn't want to give the president a win politically. So it was like she would rather sacrifice American jobs, American workers, American prosperity on the altar of having what we now know is is the worst president in history in Joe Biden because he, he's just clueless. So, so our emphasis was on bringing back manufacturing plants. We had – there was like a cool provision in it even where – uh, there would be uh, tax breaks available to American corporations that shut down their plants in China and brought them back here. Now, all of that um, would have fed in um, to to the need, certainly, for infrastructure and things like that. But that wasn't the focus of the bill. The focus was make America manufacturing great again. Yeah, it's amazing when uh, you talk about Pelosi because she is willing to do that. She she will go as far as she can to sac- she'll she'll sacrifice the needs of the country for the good of her party. We've we've talked about that many times here on this station and on this show. The Republicans don't seem to want to do that. They and I don't know if it's because they don't feel like they have the media support that Democrats have because the media will just run cover for anything the Democrats do. But you know, the Republicans, they will cross over at times and give wins to Democrats on things that that they think are at least in the yes. in the best interest of the country, even if they don't think it's in their best interest politically. Now, I don't know if that's a good move or not, but they will do it. Uh I, I think I think you're giving the the Republican defectors too much credit. I do too. For example, <laughs> if if you look at, at Chris Smith, 
in New Jersey. Um, he, he's a he's a good man. Uh, he's been around a long time. Uh, I interacted with him. I interviewed him for my Death by China film, and he, he has a great segment on uh, the uh, Uyghur abuses in China, right? But he he crossed party lines because he's in an uh, urban uh, Excella corridor district in New Jersey, and he just wanted a little pork for his district. And, and shame on Chris. I mean, that, that shame on Chris. That that had nothing to do um, with the betterment of the country. I mean, you can't you can't, as a congressman or a senator, put the needs of your district ahead of the broader welfare of the nation and 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 hope for a good outcome the the broader welfare of the nation in this case is that that's a bill that's going to leave us with with a possibly decade long era of this stagflation like we had in the 70s um the other part is there's an interesting chapter um in the Trump time book at the end called dumb sons of bitches that's part of the title. And one of those, and President Trump is the one who, who called McConnell this, um, is about how uh, Mitch McConnell uh, basically works for the Republican traditional Davos uh, Wall Street corporate wing of the Republican Party that, that wants to get rid of Trumpism, Donald Trump, and cares not a whit for the working class of America and McConnell. I mean, he can sit, he, he, look, he is the one who is ultimately responsible for what we're witnessing now, because some weeks ago he allowed Pelosi some breathing room, right? He came mm-hmm. to an agreement and gave them some breathing room uh, to get to uh, what they needed to do on the debt ceiling, this, that, and the other thing. And that we had him, we had him. Right then, we had him on the ropes. The knockout punch was ready to be delivered, and Mitch McConnell stepped into the ring, got on his knees, and and basically said, "Hit us instead." And and shame on him. And him between him and Kevin McCarthy, yeah, I know Kevin did did his like eight hours of of stuff last night. But the, these guys, you know, they're they're uh, they're haircuts in a suit. Uh, that 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 you know six years six six years right they they collect money uh, in the Senate from corporate donors one day out of six they report to the voters um, and that's kind of what what we're up against yeah couldn't agree more that's why we like having you on the show Peter Navarro is former assistant to President Donald Trump and he's author of In Trump Time a Journal of America's Plague Year which is a great idea for a Christmas gift and it's going to be one of mine. Uh, let me ask you this. I, I, I logged on to my uh, my news aggregates last night, and I saw a headline I'm going to read to you and see if you want to react here. House COVID, this is from Forbes, House COVID-19 Committee subpoenas former Trump advisor Peter Navarro. Yeah, I, I, I will react to that. I, I sent out a statement. Basically, uh, this is yet another Democrat witch hunt, and uh, – I have offered to give every committee member uh, a copy of the In Trump Time book, which which documents <laughs> in detail uh, just how well um, the White House performed uh, on what I call the five-vector attack strategy, which was not just the vaccines, the therapeutics, uh, the ventilators, uh, the testing, and the personal protective equipment. Um, and a uh, little breaking news for you, I just had a, a sheriff 
come and deliver a subpoena to me, uh, despite the fact um, I had already acknowledged that subpoena. So, we, you know, what they're trying to do is intimidate me, intimidate Steve Bannon, rattle their cages. Um, and uh, it's just such a waste of my time, the taxpayers' time, um, and the Democrats' power. I mean, they're going to be out on their ass in 2022, um, and those those subpoenas aren't going to be worth any more than toilet paper. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, the American economy is going to be in tatters because of what they do. So, uh, you know, the other thing about that committee, it's like, hey, um, here's an idea, Jim Claiborne. Uh, why not subpoena Tony Fauci and find out why we have the pandemic to begin with? Um, you know, what about those gain of function experiments? One of the one of the big missions of the in Trump time book um, really uh, is to get Fauci fired and, and in jail. And as I document in the In Trump Time book, um, he basically knew exactly where that virus came from and what it might do as early as January 2020. He lied by omission to us, and that lie alone uh, cost uh, hundreds of thousands of American lives. Yeah, I remember you know talking to you last time when I saw that headline and the fact that they're trying to get you to come and talk to him. You, all the things you just said. Well, why aren't they trying to find out what Fauci knew and, and dig into more of of what he was doing funding gain of function research? That's why you have a committee, but it's just a partisan committee, and so they're doing this kind of kind of nonsense. Yeah. But you know, you said last time we spoke. That these guys, and I think you said it was Fauci and maybe the head of the FDA, NIH, sat there with you in the Oval Office and President Trump in February 2020, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you guys said, what are you going to do about this thing that looks like it's coming to the United States? And they sat there with slack-jawed, like, oh, we're supposed to do yep. something? Yep. yep. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, yeah, I... The, the, the opening scene in the book, uh, I call it the Red Wedding chapter. I'm in the East Wing of the White House, January 15, 2020. Everybody's kind of like in an exuberant mood because we're about to sign this skinny-ass trade deal, which which was a pale shadow of what it should have been. And I'm sitting there in a cold sweat knowing uh, that a pandemic likely was on the way and wondering if China had just attacked us with a bioweapon. I mean, that's how out of touch these people were. You know, I go on. I meet Fauci in the Situation Room on January 28th and go mano a mano with him on the on the travel ban. And meanwhile, the day before, he's on radio shows saying that the virus is uh, low risk. It's like, really, dude? Wait, and that's all the more sociopathic uh, because he knew he knew that virus came from that lab. He knew it was genetically engineered, and he knew there was going to be a pandemic. And I think he was hoping against hope that somehow whatever the Chinese commies uh, genetically engineered in that lab might might not be deadly. But it turned out to be um, be just the opposite. So, yeah, in Trump time, put him in jail. And if you read the book and by the time you get to the end of it, you don't think he should be in jail. I'll give you double your money back. <laughs> Sounds like a good guarantee. Well, let me ask you this before we run out of time. The, the whole time that you guys were in uh, the office, and you know, you were one of the three advisors who was with President Trump the whole time from 2016 through 2020 and beyond. Uh, when you were dealing with this pandemic, were you operating under the assumption that this is something that China had done deliberately? 
when you say we, <laughs> that's well, the wrong word to use. It's like me, the president, and national security advisor, Robert O'Brien. Um, we're certainly uh, well aware that that might likely be the case. Um, for the clowns like Steve Mnuchin at Treasury or Larry Kudlow um, or Mick Mulvaney, the acting feckless chief of staff, no, they, they, they thought it was the flu, don't worry, be happy. So that was part of the, those are part of the struggles uh, that I um, uh, really explore in the In Trump Time book. And it, it speaks to the old Reagan saw personnel as policy. And, and I refine that by saying pers- bad personnel is bad policy, is bad politics. And um, these feckless uh, folks within the White House perimeter made that election close enough to steal. And as I explained in the In Trump Time book, steal it, the Democrats did. Peter Navarro, author of uh, In Trump Time, a journal of America's plague year, but also of the Navarro Report, like you just mentioned, with all of that documentation from uh, possible fraud from the election. You can check all of that out. He is the former assistant to President Donald Trump, and I do recommend getting his book. Thank you so much for the time this morning. Appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.